Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. This is episode number 56, and I want to give a shout out to all the Ricks. I'm talking Rick Ross. I'm talking Moranis. I'm talking Gervais. I'm talking Martin, Astley, James. It's quite a few. And on this special day, they all deserve to be celebrated. There's another, there's a, huge, there's a musician, producer, YouTuber that I was going to mention in this week's episode called Rick Beato. Oh, so there you him. go. It was a nice little uh, coincidence. Mm. My favourite is probably Rick Moranis, who you don't hear so much from yeah. these days. But uh, he he became a, he became a superstar, and then he just was he just said that's enough for me. Flintstones was the pinnacle of my career. I'm out. Yeah. Barney Rubble, ever since I was boy, I wanted to be Barney. <laughs> that, was, that was the only reason I went into acting. He said, I went into acting to get a family of tiny children yeah. and I wanted to be Barney Rubble. <laughs> I heard that he, um, that he went a bit loopy because the trilogy, the Honey, I Shrunk the Trilogy, as I call it, uh, began with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and then it was Honey, I Shrunk no, hang on. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I blew up the kids. Oh, yeah. And then, honey, I shrunk. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. And that one. Oh. That one was a little too meta. And then Rick uh, started writing a number four, which the working title of which was Honey, how do we know that everything else just isn't getting bigger? And then he. <laughs> And he lost his mind <laughs> contemplating size relativity. <laughs> honey, honey, I can't, I can't take, I can't take these dynamic size shifts that we seem to be having to go through every few years, either ourselves or our children. <laughs> honey, I, he brought, he just wrote number four. Honey, I want to remain a constant size, <laughs> and I want everyone else to as well. <laughs> oh dear uh, Yeah and you also said last week in 56 You were going to do a lot of punches and kicks mm. Which I liked Yeah I've been Karate do- John I've been doing a little bit of karate during the week um, In preparation for this week's episode <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what I have been doing you- uh, My my uh, water heater broke So I've been I've been Wim, okay. Wim Hoffing it a bit this week Getting my uh, oh, no way. Getting my icy cold showers on. So I'm really invigorated for this week's episode. Wait, have you really been taking cold showers? I did this morning, yeah, because I, I had to leave the house and I hadn't been able to shower yesterday properly because of the same problem. And I was like, well, I can't just stink up for days and days, so I'm just going to have to grit my teeth. And it was actually, I mean, I wouldn't say it was pleasant, but I did feel good afterwards because you should just it wow. really wakes you up. Did you start the shower and then jump straight in or did you slowly put a limb in and then another limb and then? Uh, I had a, I had a hand in and then I thought okay. this is actually going to be way more painful if I do it gradually. So I'm just going to okay. need to tell myself you got to step forward and your whole body's got to be in it. And then I did that and then I thought I was going to go into cardiac arrest, but I didn't. <laughs> And uh, and I just s- soaped up my pits and bits, and I got the hell out of there. You start going, 
you get in and you start going, <laughs> <laughs> you always <Exactly>. make that noise. <laughs> <laughs> I always find that the most unpleasant bit for me and the bit that actually tends to make me bail is the back of my neck, mm. sort of where my shoulders. Yeah. Like the top, top, like my head, head's fine. Yeah. And then as soon as the water, the cold water really starts to get into the back of my neck and my shoulders. Yeah. That's when my body really goes, you're in big trouble. You better get out of this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I'd go well with having an ice bath either because at least this way you feel as though you can leap out if it becomes too unbearable. But a bit harder to extricate yourself from a bath. You'd be fine in an ice bath if there's a bunch of beautiful green cans of Victoria Bitter floating mm, in there. That's true. You, and in your, John the human esky. An esky bath. Maybe I'll do that for Anzac yeah. Day on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and you went camping last week? I you did. Say? Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I did go camping. I spent three nights in the beautiful surrounds of Mount Boangor, which is a couple hours out of Melbourne. And probably the most noteworthy thing that happened was I got attacked by leeches. So you went in some sort of water. Well, we didn't go in the water. Body. That's what was confusing. Uh, but what? There's there's land leeches. Land leeches in Australia. Yeah. On top of all the unpleasantness that we've already addressed on the show of the Australian wilderness, snakes and spiders and heat that kills you and water that wants to kill you. There's also land leeches. And uh, so we're walking through these ferns that probably went up to like my shoulders. They were huge. And uh, okay. and then some bits were kind of not very well cleared. So you're kind of beating a path. And I guess I just, or a couple of us just paused at the wrong moment or maybe didn't pause. They just kind of, they just drop onto you. But what was amazing was what? this thing got into my, I had, you know, like I had, track pants on or walking trousers and good good hiking shoes on and it got in under my trousers and then in under my I have to wear orthotics which got up to my knees and it got yeah. in under that and then I felt this tiny little itch on the way back and thought oh that's probably nothing you know I didn't really think much of it and then we got back to camp and someone went into their tent and said oh everyone better check themselves for leeches and um uh. and then I did and I had like three on me just in on under right. my feet. So I had to, I went on to Reddit <clears throat> to figure out what to do. And, uh, of course, and Reddit said that what's happening when the leech bites you is it's actually laying eggs. And so you've got to, <laughs> uh, you've got to feed the eggs. Otherwise they start eating you. So I've just, every time I have breakfast, I've been taking a little bit of peanut butter off my toast and <laughs> squidging it around my calves for the little leech babies. <laughs> Thanks, Reddit. One thing that I've um, been reflecting on during the week, Al, and you can tell me if it's a, and our listeners as well, if it's a phenomenon or not. A friend of mine during the week, I think on Instagram, or more of an acquaintance, not somebody who listens to the show, posted a photo of themselves, um, or particularly of their feet, to show some autumn leaves. Okay, okay. And uh, it was a okay. lovely photo. And uh, and I noticed... it's becoming autumn in the Southern Hemisphere. Because it's becoming autumn in the Southern Hemisphere. Thank you, yes. And uh, 
it made me think about a time in which I think is now past when it was very popular for not just women, but I think more more women than men to post uh, photos of themselves where or to pose in photographs in such a way that their toes were pointing to one another. So it's called sometimes called pigeon toed. And I thought, and because there was something about this photo that struck me as slightly kind of retro, like it reminded me of being in my 20s and I was thinking, what is that? Uh. And then I thought, I think it's because, you know, maybe just inadvertently this person had a slightly pigeon-toed stance. And I thought, yeah, I reckon it's because there was a, a huge number of photos, like sort of trendy hipster media or like band photos or official photos for um, for somebody who was a celebrity or whatever would often have them posing in that sort of pigeon-toed way and it's not something that I really see anymore maybe it's because it's I've because I've gotten older and it doesn't really affect my age group or maybe it's just become less fashionable so I did some digging on the internet to okay. f- to find out whether anyone else had noticed this trend and there's a whole bunch of uh, commentary in fashion blogs and um, just kind of mainstream media online about why people started posing in this way. And most of it is focused on women, although I distinctly recall some kind of indie men in the 2000s doing it as well. But um, okay. there was a Daily Mail article, for example, which claimed that the trend was kick-started by Gwyneth Paltrow in 2010, huh. but it's since been adopted by people including Katie Holmes and uh, high-powered human rights barrister Amal Clooney, Um, And it has a series of, I could even send you the link, but it's got a series of images of people in an awards show where, and you do start to think when they all, and you see photo after photo and they're all doing it, you think, wow, that is kind of something that was very in for a while, but has kind of fallen by the wayside. And the article describes it as, it says this, they've all recently been pictured with their hands hanging limply, knees knocked and toes turned awkwardly inwards. In short, the sort of stance you'd expect a particularly shy child to adopt. And then it says, it then speculates as to what the reasons for this trend are and says, the reason for this is as depressing as it is fascinating. These A-list women have worked out that a pigeon-toed pose is a quick route to looking thinner, younger, sexier, and even more approachable. Pose brings your toes together, making your calf muscles look thinner and more defined as well as creating or accentuating the appearance of a thigh gap. But then, more interestingly, it says this. These celebrities aren't just trying to shrink their tiny bodies. They're already trying to make themselves seem less... They're also trying to make themselves seem less intimidating. Uh, Yeah. As as the cameras flash away, this pigeon-toed pose seems to say, gosh, look at little old me in the spotlight. As evolutionary anthropologist Dr. Anna Matchin explains, A-list celebrities need to appeal to two markets, men and, perhaps more importantly, other women. The pigeon-toed stance sends powerful biological signals to both genders. Celebrities are a commodity. They need other women to like them, so they go see their films, says this anthropologist. In reality, they Uh may be highly successful, powerful women, but with this pose they are trying to make themselves look more approachable. The awkward pose says, Mm. I'm not an alpha female, I'm just like you. Uh, and it was that sort of commentary that made me think, yeah, it's an interesting social phenomenon 
I know that some people might be listening and thinking, why would a man who uh, has a disability that affects his own stance have the gall to <laughs> comment on uh, on the way other people are standing? But I've, I'd, I've done it. Here we are. Um, yeah, it's interesting to me that, A, that you would get something that kind of just, I don't know, it just... It just I guess didn't seem like something that would be the subject of a trend, but it emerged uh, without anyone kind of deliberately acknowledging it or or cultivating it, I guess. Although maybe some people were doing that deliberately and I don't know, there are the agents or stylists or someone were telling them to do it. Not hard to imagine, but then it equally inexplicably, it just goes away. And then when you see it again, it seems like this particularly kind of 2010s. And it, to me, it's associated with that kind of Zoe Deschanel, these kind of people who market themselves as like, you know, uh, everyday regular people who are just somehow landed in Hollywood and they're not really, they don't want to seem like they're from that world and they kind of want to see him a bit awkward and out of place and cool. And then another... Uh, I read another article on a fashion blog where this young woman was excoriating people for doing it because she was like, it's it's infantilizing and why do like powerful, successful women feel like they have to appear as if they're knock-kneed children? Uh, which is an interesting question. Not for me to ask. What I'm going to say, John, is something that I have been discussing with you, I think, for at least at least six months, which, again, it was similar to that thing we've done on the wrap-up rap, mm-hmm. where I noticed a little bit of a trend, mm-hmm. a little bit of a phenomenon mm-hmm. that I couldn't work out if I was the first person to have... I mean, I knew I wasn't the first person to have discovered it, but it's one of those things where you don't know what to Google to try and understand right. if to try and find if other people have noticed what you've noticed yeah. are discussing it. Much like and pigeon toes. I, I, much like pigeon toes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's quite broad and I'm going to call it, what I'm going to call it, because I didn't find a word for it online yet, I'm going to call it the first name basis joke. Mm. Now, to just describe what this is, I was always aware of it in the background because I guess the place I would see it the most mm-hmm. would be on John Oliver's Today. What's his show called again? This this oh, week tonight, this week that tonight. John Oliver show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a bit of a habit, John Oliver, of doing these jokes where he, if anyone's familiar with the show, he sat at a desk. It's a comedy news program, mm. and he talks directly to the camera from the desk as a studio audience. But a lot of graphics come up, come up to the left hand side of the screen, the right hand mm. side of his head. And he will at times, I don't, he, he addresses the graphic. It's just a still picture. Yeah. But he, okay. might be talk, yeah. he might be telling a joke about, about like the pharmaceutical industry yep. in the US and then he'll turn to a, to a stock graphic of an old person. Yeah, there'll be like file photos, right? Like sort of news. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'll often say 
he'll be talking about the pharmaceutical industry and he'll be going, and did you know that their profits are so high that blah, 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 Congress, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then he'll say, he'll turn to the graphic of the old man and he'll say, did you hear that, Joe? Mm. Did you hear that, Grandpa Joe? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So he yeah. turns and he, 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 he uses, he decides on the name of the stock photo yeah. graphic yeah. and then- uses the name in the joke, in this case, Joe or Grandpa Joe. Mm. And if you watch John Oliver, he does does that a lot. This phenomenon has been everywhere for I don't know how long, Mm. and it it comes in many forms. Another place that I found it – well, actually, the reason that I – the the thing that set me off was I was watching a beer advertisement, and the beer advertisement, I think it was something like – it might have been there was a voiceover, yeah, and it might have been the kind of commercial where it said the first ever person to invent beer, blah blah yeah. blah, blah. You know? and then it showed it showed a kind of funny, um, old timey scene mm-hmm. from like thousands of years ago with a bumbling fool who was inventing beer, right? And then there was, and then the voiceover towards the end of the ad, one of the characters kind of slips, yeah. and the voiceover goes. Oh, Andy. Yeah. And I tell you what, I saw it again. <laughs> Just yesterday, somebody sent me a video that was all about, another advertisement that was all about switching from animal meat to plant-based meat. Mm. And again, it's a, it's a, it's an advertisement just going along normally. And then at some point, one of the scientists turns to an underling and just, you know, it's meant to be sort of lighthearted mm. and say something like, oh, you've done it again, Jeffrey, or mm. put that down, Timmy. Yeah, yeah. And it's this str- strange, and you know when the ads are doing it, yeah. that it's had its time. Yeah, of course. And the reason I'm talking Once about mar- it today- marketing people think it's funny. Yeah, sorry. The yeah. Reason, reason you're talking about it today. He's, I just, I don't- I don't like to go negative on Don't Praise the Machine. <laughs> yeah. I don't like to judge people. But I can't hear this anymore. Mm. I can't hear the first name. I can't hear the first names in jokes or things that are meant to have the cadence of a joke. It's now being used as a shorthand to communicate that what's being said is is funny, mm. but it's not funny anymore. And there's a couple of other examples. I found a... um. I was, it was a total uh, stroke of luck that I was. I found a TikTok video from a user. I'm going to get this right. His username is Habulari Habesha. Mm-hmm. And it, it just his video just popped up on my TikTok. And he was saying that it's now just used to telegraph that something is funny yeah. when it's not. And he yeah. was saying... he. He was saying when we look back at comedy in the late uh, 20s, like 20 teens, he'll say using people's first name in a joke to telegraph that you are being funny mm. will be a thing that people will look back on and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Everybody was doing that. And it got so tired. Mm. And he was saying that it doesn't even need to be that <laughs> funny for it to work. Yeah. You just need in this in this example, he was saying he was referring to another side uh, use of it where he was saying that. You can. This is more the indignant use. This is kind of yeah. the John Oliver yeah. way. You say something indignant, and then you just add a person's name yeah. to it. And it tends to also be like a. If you use like a basic white person's name, yeah. that's yeah. become a bit part of it as well. Yeah. So he was saying, he was saying you could say yeah. something like, "Oh, I, th- I think I wrote this." Something like, "I was in, Chip- I was in the line at Chipotle, waiting to order." my burrito and a woman pushes in front of me and I'm like, uh, okay, Cheryl. Yeah. Like this 
kind of thing. And that was also used by, um, there's also, a Can- I think he's Canadian, a Canadian, a Canadian comedian called Ryan Long. Mm-hmm. And he noticed the use of it in that kind of white woman's name mm, uh, usage. Kind of and I think I sent this car- to you. Where he a bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Where he was saying, he was saying that in his new stand-up special, he hasn't really written any jokes. All he's written is white women's names as punchlines. And then he just keeps like rolling off these jokes where he's like, yeah, my, my, my girlfriend's like vegan. And we go to a restaurant and she's like, can I have the, the, can I have the oat milk frapper, blah, blah, blah with vegan this? And I'm like, uh, okay, Megan. And, <laughs> and it's also kind what? of used in like office, mm. like white office culture you know, if yeah. you're like a white female office worker, the joke will always be, ah, uh, okay, Sarah, <laughs> this kind of yeah. thing. What? So it's been, it's, it's, it's been multi-used. Yeah, okay. What do you think of that, John? It's really interesting because when we discussed it for the first time, when you said, hey, have you ever noticed this has been happening? I mean, it's the kind of thing where, like so many things that you – uh, point out, and then I can't help but notice them and fly into a rage eventually, uh, because it's kind <laughs> of. Because I send them every time I find them. Now I send them straight to you. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Any video, I'm like, I don't even tell you the context. You just open the video. Yeah, and then you just always write back to me and just go, Ah, the cardinal sin. <laughs> yeah. The um, I mean, the thing about it is, I'm not quite sure what makes it funny, but I think it's, and I think it's kind of quite obscure, but it's, there's something about taking generic information that's usually not associated with particular individuals, which is why John Oliver was doing it in a news context. And then, as you say, breaking the fourth wall and saying, you know, let's make this story about a science experiment that was a bit on the nose about this particular scientist, you know, named Charlie or something. And, and it's kind of a strange leap to make it something that's very personalized. And, you know, yeah, so suddenly it, this person who is just like a generic extra becomes like a particular identity. And, and there's something about that, which at least a thousand times, you know, the first time it was done, as opposed to the thousandth time was funny. Yeah, that's right. The name of the person is irrelevant mm. in whichever context it's being used. So if you're using it in an advertisement that goes for 30 seconds, mm. nobody needs to. And I can see why I can. T- I, I know the reason that it's being used in advertising is mm-hmm. because it personalizes in a way what's going on mm. in that way that advertisers are so desperate to to. To, to capture. Yeah. They want you to connect emotionally with what's happening. Yeah. And if they throw on a little goofy, oh, let's call the man whose house has just been knocked over by the storm and it's an insurance commercial. Yeah. We'll just, we'll, the, the voiceover will just say, we've got you covered, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, Mark, <laughs> then Mark, will look at, Mark will look at the camera and he'll just sort of nod his head and smile. That's true. And then, and then yeah. they'll sell insurance to you. Yeah, that is a good way to think of its use in marketing and you're right. And I guess it's that idea that, you know, again, is such a big hit in advertising where they're like, they want to show you like, yes, we're advertising to you, but we're doing it in this kind of self-conscious, slightly self-deprecating yeah. way. Cause we care, you know, we're not just some we care. <laughs> terrible corporation <clears throat> that's hoping that your house, but uh, that's hoping that you're, house burns down so that we can refuse you claim. I liked also that um, 
that that TikToker Ahabulari Habesha, he mentioned that it's it that you, the thing now, if you can just use the structure of the first name basis joke, the thing you say doesn't even need to be funny mm. because the first name basis structure gives it the cadence of humor he used, <laughs> which I really like. So you can just, yeah. you can, I can make one up now. I can just be like, oh, I was at a concert and a, and a woman stepped in front of me and I couldn't see the band. Yeah. And I was like, uh Okay, Marissa. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I was like, ha, 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 that's funny. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not funny. I literally just made that up then and I didn't have to think about anything <laughs> except I just had to think. All I had to think of was a was generic name. A situation, a situation where somebody had broken some kind of social contract yeah. and I pretend that I knew her name or I give her a white woman's name. Yeah. And it's funny. It's not <laughs> And if it's in your ad, I'm not buying a product. That's what else I'm. That's what else I'm saying. Yeah. The first name basis joke. Yeah. Everyone. Everybody. Everybody. Everyone suddenly start noticing it. Get an, get annoyed about it because you will once you start noticing. And send it, it to us. Yeah. This is the thing, guys. That's guys, a good guys, idea. guys. Don't praise the podcast on Instagram if that's easy. You'll probably find them on social media, so it's probably easiest to just to click the little share button mm. and send it to the Don't Praise the Machine Instagram account. Mm-hmm. If you any examples of the first name basis joke, be it in advertising or comedy or maybe an unfunny co-worker mm. says it and you just quickly jot it down, shoot it on <laughs> over and we'll read it out on the show. Yeah. And hopefully yeah. we'll do the world a service by... Uh, naming and shaming. Let's yeah. move on. Whatever the next funny thing is, let's discover it together. <laughs> you, the don't praises, and us. Yeah, and then, and then we can also just dispose of it once it starts getting used in advertisements. <laughs> That's the cycle of comedy. <laughs> Sometimes on the show, and people who've heard a few episodes will have picked this up, I like to do a little bit of my own version of a media watch, you know, maybe picking up on an article that struck me as peculiar or the use of a word in in, uh, journalistic parlance that strikes me as peculiar. Uh, I came across a story during the week about our very own hometown of Adelaide. Okay. Uh, And it's... It's interesting. It's called the title of the. Let me just bring it up. The title of the article is uh, Adelaide's Own Batman on a Crusade to Bring Fun and Laughter to the Roads. And I'm just going to share it with you. Or, in fact, you'll be able to find it if you just Google Adelaide's Own Batman, because that's, fr- <laughs> that's not a phrase that crops up very often. <laughs> Here it is, though. Here we go. I got it. I found the um <laughs> and yeah, that that photo is tremendous. <laughs> like just the first the first the first photo. Yeah. It's pretty um, good. Yeah. 
Uh, and what is, yeah, just explain this. What, who is Adelaide's own Batman, well, John? Well, you look at this article, it's ABC News. Um, again, a major, you know, it's the, it's the Australian equivalent of the BBC. It's a major news publication. But here they are delving into the uh, minutiae of the human experience and they found a story about a man named Phil. And Phil says the caption on this wonderful photo, wears a Batman mask for a bit of fun while driving his Corvette. And then it says uh, this, because the kids go nuts is the only explanation Adelaide's own version of Batman can offer for donning the caped Crusader's mask. But rather than fighting crime, the 74-year-old Phil has been jumping into his version of the Batmobile, a 1977 dark blue Chevrolet Corvette, and driving the city's busiest pedestrian strips for no reason other than to have fun. Uh, and he describes, I often go for a cruise down the bay or Jetty Road, Brighton, and I'm astounded by the remarks that come from the kids. You go past them and they'll all be in the back of their car looking at my car. And then I drop back, put my Batman mask on and pull up alongside them. You just watch the reactions and the kids go nuts. And then he goes on to explain that he didn't buy the full outfit because nobody would see the full outfit while he was driving. Uh, he felt doubt at first. He says he felt doubt at first, wondering if it was a, quote, stupid thing to do, on which I expressed no view. But because his Corvette is a left-hand drive, it gave him the opportunity to hear firsthand if his antics were appreciated by the drivers he pulled up alongside at traffic lights. One time I pulled up alongside this bloke and he turned around and said to his kids, it's Batman, it's Batman. The little kid looked over and said, and I waved to him, said good day, and he said, said good day, and he said, you can't be Batman because Batman's car is black. And I said, you little smart Alec. And then, um, <laughs> and then, and then it goes on to explain a little bit about Phil's backstory. He's a collector of classic cars. He didn't have the money to pay for classic cars while he was married, but then his wife quote took off and he says, so I went crazy. He laughed. Uh, and he also owns a, a, a number of other classic cars. He works on the cars himself to keep the costs down, blah, blah, blah. He is a uh, competitive bodybuilder. Well, he's not anymore, I think, but he spent 27 years as a competitive bodybuilder known as Mr. Abdominals. Okay. Um, so an interesting little um, an interesting little story there. I think what attracted me to this story, apart from the uh, image that you observed, is the kind of narrative choice that the author was faced with. I mean, this could have been, these same facts could have been presented as being quite sinister, I think. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, you've got, you've got a, you've got a man who was uh, recently abandoned by his wife, a, a septuagenarian former bodybuilder who then takes to driving around dressed as Batman and waving at <laughs> waving at kids. Who has and, admitted himself that the, the, the divorce <clears throat> sent him crazy. Yeah, exactly. Who says, I went crazy and now I drive around <laughs> doing something and I was worried that it was a bit stupid, but based on eavesdropping, it's apparently it's beloved. And uh, and if if I was working for the ABC, I would have probably said something like, Say, Paul, powerless to stop, man, <laughs> man roaming the streets dressed as Batman. But, uh, but you know, they've they've instead portrayed it as a kind of 
heartwarming tale. Um, I love um, I love the idea that all I need to do to get the ABC to write a story on me is mm. buy a forty dollar rubber Batman mask <laughs> and do literally nothing else but drive around <laughs> in in uh, in a convertible, yeah, and um, some sort of you can uh, just hire the convertible probably. <laughs> well, Phil will lend you his his nineteen twenty three Ford T bucket, which he also owns. <laughs> and then, and then I could be Adelaide's own Batman. Yeah. There's just not. There's just. There's just no other. I have no other responsibilities to <laughs> fulfil there. And then that's it. Nobody's saying. But seriously, why? Why are you doing when this? You, when you sent this to me, I thought it was going to be connected to children's charities or something. I remember yeah, when you sent no. me this that I was looking at it, going, "Oh, does he dress up for?" For Batman, as Batman for like terminally ill kids, mm. and he's like, nah, his marriage just collapsed, and he doesn't even have the rest <laughs> of the, the suit. <laughs> and no, and and he also has grown a full mustache, so he's not mm. concerned that that also breaks down the illusion of him being Batman because he just is this <laughs> massive like handlebar mustache. I would have said if my dad said to me, "Look, Alex, it's Batman, it's Batman," I go. That man's in his 70s and has a moustache and is not in the Batmobile and is not wearing any other elements of the suit. He's unwell. (laughs) Before we close out today's show, I was just going to say I've been going down a bit of a Blink-182 rabbit hole. Mm. Been loving getting into a bit of Blink. Uh, who getting are into all the small of, things. Getting into all the small things. Yeah, I was, I was, the, reason that I've, uh, the reason that I started going down a Blink-182 rabbit hole is because um, I got served this amazing YouTube video by this YouTuber called Alex Melton. Mm-hmm. And the YouTube video is titled, if anybody wants to look it up, and boy damn... It, you must. Mm-hmm. The video is called If Blink-182 Wrote Wonderwall. Right. And there are countless videos on the YouTube that were If So-and-So Wrote So-and-So. Okay. And 99.9 of them are lame. They're just not yeah. good. Or they're done in a kind of they're done in kind of bad spirit. Like it's meant to be about kind of making fun of one right. of those artists. Like, yeah, okay. Let's take a good song, and mm. you know, this is how a crappy pop artist would sing it, and then you kind of make fun of the style. Yeah, and all the little mannerisms. Pointing. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But this Alex Melton guy is a musical genius. He's mm-hmm. clearly been working at his craft. His whole life. he. So what the video is, just to explain it to you, is this guy has made a video of he's performing Oasis's Wonderwall as if Blink-182 sung it. And he plays all the instruments on the song, mm. drums, bass, guitar. So he is performing as Mark Hoppus, Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker from mm-hmm. Blink-182. And he, you can tell that this guy just fucking loves Blink-182 and that they were a huge influence on him as a musician. Mm. And it just comes through in the video. It's so joyous and mm. it's so well done. Like the detail in in which he's able to, 
in part on this version of Wonderwall because he clearly just has studied everything Blink-182 does from yeah. Travis Barker's drumming to Mark Hoppus's voice. So he sings like Mark Hoppus, the lead singer. Yeah, right. And it just sounds just like him. All the drum feels are exactly like Travis Barker's, all the mm. guitar riffs, all the guitar tones. It just sounds – and it's so – he's such a – He's such a talented and and obviously well-trained musician. So check Mm. that out, Alex Melton, if Blink-182 wrote Wonderwall. Yeah, okay. Has he done other- He does loads. He does does loads of- Because I've seen the Wonderwall one, which is very good. Yeah, he does if Blink-182 did. So if Blink-182 wrote Wonderwall, has about 1.5 million views Mm -hmm. on YouTube. And then um, he did one a couple of years ago, which was if- Blink-182 did Semi-Charmed Life, which is also mm. really excellent. And then he also has done uh, he's done a few If This Was a Country song and hmm. they are so good. Mm. It's, it's really – you can just tell that this guy just loves all of the music that he's performing and it really comes across and he's – yeah, it's just like pure music beauty in these mm. videos. And then also another uh, – Blink-182 came up again because this other – YouTube uh, music person Rick Beato, who's a music producer and guitarist himself, uh, also very, very talented musician who's been in the music industry for like thirty plus years, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He did. A, he does a series called "Why Is This Song Great," and he's done a couple of Blink One Eight Two songs where he deconstructs them, and he seems mm. to have access to all of the original musical stems because um, mm. he's in the industry. So he'll just like s- isolate the vocal and explain to you what they've done. And he did uh, Yeah, right. What's My Age Again, which is a great song. And the thing is with Blink, I was really into Blink probably up until their Dude Ranch album, which was 97. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that has Damn It on it and Josie. Yeah, my girlfriend. Mm. Uh, and then after that is Enema of the State, which was 99. And that's a bit yeah. more poppy, the album. And because I was a bit of an angsty teen, I was like, no, nah, I don't want to listen to pop punk. I'm an angsty bit too teen. too bubble gummy. Oh, it's a bit too bubblegummy. I'm a dude ranch kind of guy. Yeah. And so I didn't really pay much attention to them. But <laughs> last night in bed, I listened to like, not only did I watch videos on the production uh, process of Enema of the State, but then I just listened to the whole album <laughs> in bed <laughs> on my on Spotify. Mm. It's a fucking amazing album, Enema mm. of the State, 1999. That's the mm. one with got... What's, what's my age again? Mm. It's got Adam's song. It's got all the small things. This is the one that you initially deemed too poppy. Yeah, exactly. And I remember this. Can you give a shout out to my to my dear friend, uh, my dear friend Claire, because she can appear twice in this story. I was a mm-hmm. bit of a cool punk kid. I went to see No Effects with Claire in mm. uh, ninety nine. We would have right. seen. I would have been maybe sixteen. I saw No Effects at Thebin Theatre, and that was. That's an excellent show. I really remember that show. It was awesome. Mm. But then I remember Claire's sisters were a bit younger mm. and they were more into like poppy stuff. And I remember one of them, it, I reckon it was one of them, or it might have, I can't remember if it was Catherine or Joe or Liz. Maybe yeah. it was John, but I doubt it. One of them bought the Enema of the State CD and I remember it being at their house and I remember that iconic cover of mm. the nurse pulling on the rubber glove, yeah. the sexy nurse, and she's got a little Blink-182 logo, the little capsule with Blink-182 uh, on on her uh, nurse's outfit and I remember mm. thinking, well, if like 
if Claire's younger sisters are listening to Blink-182, then maybe I need to not because I'm supposed to be really cool. Yeah. And I was totally wrong. It's an amazing <laughs> album. And I'm going to listen to it again. Nice. I'm on, a blink te- I'm on a blink tear. So that can be got two musical recommendations for everybody. Mm-hmm. You can either go through Blink-182's entire back catalogue gone right back to their i think it's called buddha was their first uh, proper release in 94 mm-hmm. uh dude ranch uh cheshire i think is another one of them yeah then go up all the way through to edinburgh the state and keep going on if you want that's your that's your recommendation for the week amazing they are amazing musicians pop writers the albums are beautifully produced just mm. listen to Animal of the State from start to finish by Blink-182 it's a classic it's Alexander Holland's classic album of the week <laughs> Blink-182 from 1999 it's Blink-182's Enema of the State and and they got they got a little bit they went a little bit off the rails at some stages i recall because the was it the lead singer became really interested in UFOs and aliens Mark Hoppus yeah, I think Maybe. so. I haven't I looked that so. up. That might be a bit of a postscript that we can explore in a subsequent episode. I'm pretty Could sure. Be Tom DeLong, who's the I think Tom. Yeah, Tom. I think it is Tom DeLong. He was like, he either claims to have been abducted by aliens, or at the very least, claims to have seen UFOs, uh, and is a tr- is a diehard believer. So I think we should have Bob Lazar and Tom DeLong on the show, <laughs> and they can we can talk all things pop and aliens. <laughs> Mate, that's going to be There's a little bit of something for you And a little yeah, bit of exactly. something for me That'd be great You'd just be saying, oh Bob Can you tell us what it was like Having to reverse engineer the UFO <laughs> And I'll be saying, Tom Can you just tell me what kind Of compression we're using To get that guitar sound On all the small things It's beautiful Man, that's a that's a show for everyone Hi everybody, this is Alexander Holland from Don't Praise the Machine and I want to say thank you so much for tuning into episode number 56. You may have noticed there were so many punches and kicks and we did all of the magic tricks. As always, I'm sat next to my best pod partner digitally from the Southern Hemisphere all the way to the Northern Hemisphere. And as I digitally look to the left of me, I see my main man, Shamalama. <laughs> Shamalama, over to you. (laughs) Thanks very much, Al, and thanks everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Don't Praise the Machine. We'll see you next week for episode number 57. We're going to take you to heaven. And remember, if you've liked this episode, don't be afraid to like and subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends, tell your family that Don't Praise the Machine is the best podcast going round. You can always get in touch via email at don't praise one word at aol.com or we have an instagram page don't praise the machine the podcast send us a message we love to hear from you that's been episode number 56 thanks so much everybody and we'll see you next week at the podcast